0: Welcome back to another episode of the Thought Pioneering Podcast, part of the Freedom Cast Network. I'm your host, Kyle Shiansky. And in this episode, we're going to continue on our three-part series of psychological safety with Jane Arinaya. And if you haven't had a chance to check out the other episode, pause this podcast now, go check out the first episode in this series, which was what is psychological safety? Because if you don't, a lot of what we're talking about may seem out of context. So definitely go check that out and we'll wait for you to come back. So now that you're back, we're going to go ahead and jump straight into the conversation and we're going to pick up a little bit where we left off. And we've talked about psych safety, what it is, the history of it, why it's important organizations. So to set these next two episodes up, this one we're going to talk about How it impacts the individual contributor and then next we're going to talk about what leaders and other individual contributors can do to make a safe environment so first and foremost what we want to do for this episode is let's just define what an individual contributor so jane i'm going to go ahead and welcome you back to this episode Um, i really enjoyed our discussion our last episode last month so welcome back for another crack at thought pioneering glad to have you here
1: i'm so glad to be back here kyle thank you for continuing this discussion So first of all, what is an individual contributor? Well, an individual contributor is someone who contributes to the organization or team, but doesn't manage teams. Okay, so um, what I really wanna talk about here is how we all make a contribution to creating this climate of psychological safety.
0: Let's think about that though. What are some of the benefits that we can bring when it comes to psych safety? Or what are some of the benefits that psych safety can bring into the workplace?
1: So as we spoke about in the last podcast, in the absence of fear, you work in an environment of high trust. And when you work in an environment of high trust, relationships are healthier and people engage wholeheartedly into the work that they do. And when people show up in this way, you tap into the best of who they are. And and what I mean by that is it's their best thinking, it's their talents, it's their ideas. So for example, consider this. You have an employee who has an idea that has the potential to make your company millions of dollars, but because they're afraid to bring it up for fear of being ridiculed or for it failing, they decide not to share that idea. Who loses there? company?
0: Yeah, the company, My big gosh. time.
1: Yeah. So, and, and another scenario you can consider is where an employee sees a flaw and a faulty part that that really puts your customer's physical safety at risk. But then decides not to say something because they're afraid that top management might get defensive. Wow, that could be a liability to your company. So, you know, when it comes to the workplace, I think that not only do we want to create an environment where people feel good about where they work and feel good about themselves and the people they work with, but boy, does this have a huge impact to your business.
0: And it really helps because as you think about like the contributor themselves, they, they have, they're there. They're at the ground level. They do the work. They know what can make the biggest impact. And I used to work in a continuous improvement group, and we valued having the people, the individual contributors, the people that were doing the job in the room making the decisions, because and that created a safe and safe environment. And you could see it at every. These are like week long events too. Mm. At the beginning of every event. They're very quiet. They're like, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to put a target on my back. I don't want to. Right. uh, right? If you listen to our last podcast, I don't want to stick my head out of the foxhole. And everyone's real quiet. Well, as people start having and we kind of coax them like, hey, it's okay. It's a safe environment. We're not going to come down on you. This isn't like if there is an incident or especially if safety is related. We want to know from the people that are doing the job, what can we do to make those minor improvements that will make, for one, the job safer to make your life a little bit easier as an employee?
1: Yeah. When you yeah. break
0: that barrier, they started contributing their ideas. And next thing you know, you're saving, and, and I'm not saying like you say billions of dollars, but you save, right. you know, a hundred dollars a day extrapolated over 365 days. That's that's not an insignificant amount of money. So mm-hmm. again, you look at how it could benefit the the company, the employees, and also the shareholders.
1: Yeah. And when you really think about it, so say you have an organization um, of 500 employees you have 500 minds and talents to tap into, you know, and those are the eyes and ears of your workplace. So to your point there, Kyle, when you say that they're closest to the work, my gosh, we rely a lot on those eyes and ears to let us know when things aren't done right, or things are, you know, a potential liability, all of those things. So I think you really have to look at it that way and it always made me laugh when high, dis- like higher ups would make these decisions about, you know, a restaurant renovation, for example, but they don't tap in and find out, you know, what's the best way to do this from the servers, the people that actually work in the restaurant. So it's important to create a culture where people feel included so that you can tap into their best ideas, opinions, and suggestions. And also for people to feel courageous to speak up candidly without fear of you know being punished or humiliated or embarrassed.
0: Absolutely, and I'm actually going to pull from Leader Factor, which I know you're certified in. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna use some of their language too when it comes to contributor safety. When a contributor safety is present, then we feel safe to contribute as a full member of the team, using our skills and abilities to participate in the value creation process. We lean into what we're doing with energy enthusiasm. And we have that natural desire to apply what we've learned to make meaningful contributions. Now, when the contributor safety isn't present, then your desire to add value and contribute in a meaningful way really diminishes and you become a glorified order taker doing the tasks, uh. that, yeah, the tasks that need to be done without the, the passion or the energy. So that's, you know, that's essentially why we dislike the micromanagers. And so, yeah. yeah, they don't give us that freedom. They don't give us that discretion to reach our potential. So that, that's taken from leader factor and what they have to say yeah. about contributor oh, shaping. I love
1: that. I love that. And I love that book. And I've learned so much from that book. But, you know, to your point there is that, you know, if you if you want people to be robots and be mechanical, then fine. Don't ask for their ideas. They'll just do what they're told but my gosh we're not benefiting from the, the the talents of of the people we have in our, our work environment if we do that
0: oh absolutely and,
1: yeah and and back to creativity like what we talked about in the last podcast you can't you can't command creativity
0: mm-hmm.
1: can't command energy enthusiasm that's not something that's part of a job description so you have to create the conditions so people feel conducive to bring that that enthusiasm and that level of energy into the work that they do and creativity to the work that they do. I get to choose whether or not to share this idea, right? You don't know that I have this idea, but I get to choose to share it. So if we can create an environment that's conducive for people to want to share it a, because they're passionate about the work that they do, that they care about the organization and they're engaged. Well, then my gosh, you can tap into that so much more as an organization um, to, to drive your business forward.
0: And if you're in an environment that and we I kind of talked about this in an earlier episode, but when it comes to the dominance hierarchy, the when you first get into a role, the last thing you want to do, a lot of people are like, well, I don't feel safe coming in and just like day one on the job, challenging the status quo. Y'all are doing that wrong. Here's a better way of doing mm, it. You kind of have yeah. to understand that that's like my advice to everyone is understand the job first and then build the credibility within that's the best way to get the buy in. And you might have that idea, but really understand how that idea works. But a lot of times organizations will weed those people out at the very bottom of the dominance hierarchy. And so all that you're left with to promote from is a pool of people that think exactly how you want them to think. And they're those glorified order takers. And what you've done is you set yourself up generationally for failure. And then all of a sudden something happens. Crisis is the cradle for innovation. You need to be an innovative company. You have to pivot. Maybe it's a new idea that comes into your market. It's a very competitive idea. And now you have to pivot. And you, you're not set up to do that because you've created an unsafe environment psychologically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that way nobody has the the safety to bring up those ideas.
1: That's right. And I think it's equally as important for leaders to invite those ideas. Like it's one thing to say, you know what, we have a speak up culture. We want to hear your ideas. If you've got any questions, you know, you can come to my office. Like, I think that's that's great. But if you're going to declare that, I think we too as leaders need to. Um, be intentional and and invite people to share and, and make it safe for people to share opinions and ideas candidly. So it's also very important is how do we respond to that as leaders? Because that's going to determine their behavior down the road. So if somebody does bring up a great idea and I shut them down or I say, oh, that's not going to work. Well, then obviously they're not going to share ideas later on down the road. So it's it's very critical that, you know, as an individual contributor, that that not only are we courageous, but that we also create this environment for our colleagues to share as well. OK, and leaders to do that as well.
0: Well, that's also a good point, too, because I, I I often think that, yeah, leaders have a great. Um, well, leaders have a lot of influence, and you can influence yes. things positively or negatively. They have an influence on the 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 safety that they can create, the environment that they create, how safe it can be. I also think that our teammates can also create an unsafe environment, and I see it happen a lot more without the leader even knowing. And mm. that's why it's important as a leader not to micromanage your team, but to be connected with your team because you have to have a good pulse on how things are going. Not right. saying you have to stand and be a helicopter, like a hovering manager or a leader. Yeah. But a lot of times, the, a lot of the ideas get, get, I would say, they get dampened at the team level, not, mm. not necessarily the leader. And so, yes. as individual contributors working on a team together, we also need to be cognizant of that and say, well, what kind of environment are we creating for our teammates? And right. I'm guilty of it, too. I've, I've definitely... I, and that's like the, the law like the, kind of, when you go back to the innovative process, yeah, I might think i I have a growth mindset, but then there are certain things that I don't have a growth mindset on. And so I got to be able to check myself in that and say, okay, well, what kind of environment am I creating for this idea or for this specific scenario? So mm-hmm. th- that's also very important as, as team members, how can we help create a psychologically safe environment where we can really thrive?
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, and you got me thinking there because if you look at a team, that's a that's a social group. And again, psychological safety, it's about interpersonal risk taking. And, you know, Google did a great study and they studied, you know, some of the the best performing teams, about 180 teams they studied. And what separated the great teams from the 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 poor performing teams is high psychological safety as number one in terms of importance for a healthy team. So when you look at teams and they're socially interacting with each other, they have a mix of different strengths and ideas and opinions, and this can sometimes cause friction. It can cause conflict. And I love Timothy Clark's idea that we often confuse intellectual friction with social friction, and we take things personally, oftentimes, So, you know, if organizations can spend more time in building relationships and high trust, well, then we won't take those things as personal. And this is what makes a healthy team. So we got to, we got to really put, um, you know, training in place or learning in place to help us deal with conflict Mm -hmm. in a productive way um, so that we can move past taking it personally and being, and being vulnerable and trusting that our coworkers have our back.
0: And I think a big part of that is awareness too. I mean, before we can even do the training, it's just building the awareness of, hey, here's something that exists. Um, if we don't, if we're not aware of it, then we're just going to keep brushing it out of the rug. And now now b- being aware of then being aware of not doing anything, that's another <laughs> that's another thing too. So that's where your, your skills development will come in was uh-huh. now that we're aware, what can we do to proactively, um, to mitigate certain scenarios or how do we work through if there is a, a conflict and there's, a, an abundance of content out there. That's why we're in the business mm-hmm. that we're in. Is yes, that, exactly. Is that we help organizations push through those barriers? So yeah, there's so much out there when it comes to how. Okay, now that I know that this is a, this is out there, what can I do to make and create a, and create and sustain a more psychologically safe environment?
1: Well, and what you're speaking to, Kyle, is emotional intelligence. Like when you have a teams that are high in emotional intelligence, they're very aware of their own emotions but also the impact they have on others. Right. So I, I think that's that's a very important thing to look for when you hire people is is where are they at in terms of emotional intelligence because that's that's having really great interpersonal skills and being able to work problems, work through problems and conflict and all of that. People high in emotional intelligence do that well.
0: Absolutely. And it just helps the team really progress i mean everyone wants if we look at the Tuckman stages of team development everyone wants to get to the the performing stage (laughs) like we all and i i feel like we all spend a little bit of time sometimes a little too much time in the storming phase but when you everyone wants to get to performing and and sometimes you you feel like oh i want to skip all these other stages but it's like nope it's kind of the rules of the game Mm. you have to progress that's how you grow and yes. so yeah, when we get to those high performing teams, why is psychological safety critical for those teams?
1: Yeah, well, you know, here's the thing. When you look at a team, we're all working towards a common goal. We're all working towards a common goal. And and again, if for high performing teams to be high performing, we got to support each other. We've got to bring all of our ideas together. We got to synergize. And, and also really work on each other's strengths. This is what makes a great team. We don't want everyone the same. So when there's diversity, sometimes there's conflict. Sometimes there's differences of opinions. And again, high-performing teams, it's not that they're all the same that makes them so great. It's because they're different or diverse, but they have skills to be able to, to work through the differences yeah. and conflict. Well, Communication, things like that, right? All very critical for high performing teams.
0: Well, that's kind of like the next topic that I was going to ask you too. Is like, where did where do organizations tend to fall short when um, creating a safe environment, or mm. what what do organizations tend to do to create a safe environment, and where do they fall short?
1: Yeah, so so one of the things I want to point out there is that leaders of teams need to be very clear on their vision, their goals, and expectations. Because in the absence of clarity, there's ambiguity. And that's not psychologically safe for me. I'm not going to know as an individual contributor how I need to contribute so that I can progress our team's goals forward. So that clarity of vision, that clarity of goals and expectations is very, very important. Because otherwise, you're going to have different views on the team of what's important, And then that's where you get differences of opinion and and lack of clarity and people are going off in different directions. So I think in a high performing team, we've got to all be on the same page here.
0: Yeah, and I think that kind of leads into a little bit of empowerment too. I I know uh, Craig Rochelle is another podcaster. He has a a great podcast on leadership, but he defines empowerment uh, or the keys to empowerment as clarity and trust. And so Mm. having, yeah, having a lot of trust for the individual but also having extreme clarity. I, for one, am a person that needs a lot lot of clarity because to your point, if you tell me something and I'm not a mind reader as much as I try to be, I will do something and what I think is the right thing to do. And we all might have, a hundred different definitions of the right way of doing things. And it might mean something different to a hundred different people. So that right there will, I'll come out with something that may be really good, but it's not what you're looking for. And if you, if as a leader, or even as a team member, I didn't clearly articulate that, then what am I going to do next time you give me a directive? I'm like, Oh, well, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to be a little hesitant.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, and here's the thing, like when you've got teams, you're going to have some really, Top performers on the team. But then how are we handling the low performers? Because here's the thing what really disengages top performers is if we're not holding those low performers accountable. Okay. okay so yeah. You, you got to maintain the level of standard. And again, if you've got if you're clear in your expectations, okay, the likelihood of everyone performing high is is better. Mm-hmm. But if you're not dealing with those that aren't doing their you know, pulling their own weight, well, then that's going to disengage your top performers easily. So there's this accountability piece that I think is also very important. Um, And we often, and accountability is such a negative word, and we often associate accountability when someone does something wrong. Oh, right. right. Yeah. (laughs) You know, but we're all, when we recognize great work, that's holding people accountable for great work. Yeah. We need to be very mindful of the positive things and the great things that our people do as well. And, and this this notion of psychological safety versus psychological discomfort. So, for example, you've got an individual contributor that has made a commitment to get a project done by a certain date. You as a leader, you followed up with them two times. Now, the third time, okay, who's accountable there?
0: Right. So, it's, it's
1: yeah. you know, and I really don't want to see this word being thrown around because that person can say, well, I don't feel psychologically safe. But who's that on, you know, we all have a responsibility to do our jobs Mm -hmm. and to do it well. So, but who's that on?
0: Yeah. And I, I've had so many conversations with many different clients about accountability. When we say, Hey, let's accountability is a thing we could work on. They're like, well, no, we don't use that word here because that's, we don't want to put that in part of our, our learning curriculum because that's a negative word. And we really have to coach them on, okay, well, what does accountability mean to you? Yeah. And they're like, well, it's really when things go wrong, like who's to blame? Like, no, accountability no. is if I tell you I'm, I'm going to be here at this meeting at this time, I'm holding myself accountable to make sure that I'm going to be there at that meeting at that time. I'm also holding myself accountable to the wins and the successes mm-hmm. and the failures that happen along the way. So That's it's right. more than just like when things go wrong, who's to blame? Oh, they're accountable for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we have this negative connotation to the word. So I think we need to change that we need to look at accountability as somebody taking responsibility for both great work and when things go, you know, not so great.
0: And when it comes to the innovative process, I, I like to say accountability for me is, did I learn something when things go wrong? Because things are going to, if you, and talking to the, to the, to the people I was talking to yesterday, there in the military. They said the, when you do, when you drop a battle plan, when the bullets start flying, that battle plan goes out the window. Like what you, what you plan versus what you execute are completely different, but the job to be done, the, the commander's intent, everything is, the mission is still the same. Get to the hill, take the hill. And, but you have this plan drawn out. And that's sometimes how we act when we have a, a, a like a business project or whatever. It's like, well, we had this beautiful plan and we try so hard to make it go as, as we planned it, but we have to be agile. We have to do, we have to make those quick minor adjustments. We try fast, fail fast, learn fast. Mm-hmm. And, and if we're not in a safe environment where we can feel comfortable doing that, when we hit that first barrier, we're like, you know what? We're just going to sit here. We're going to wait wait for right we're gonna wait for things to settle (laughs) that's not what we want yeah
1: yeah well and one of the best ways to build psychological safety in your work environment is to create a culture of learning
0: yes yes
1: when you create this culture of learning what you're saying is is that yes we're not going to be perfect we're going to drop the ball sometimes we're going to make mistakes but let's learn from that so, when we talk about accountability, we, we hold people accountability for the mistake. But what I think we need to do is hold people accountable, accountable for the learning.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If you're not learning from your mistakes, then you're, that's to me, that's the true failure. And um, I'll, I'll say this all the time like, it's okay to fail as long as you learn from that. Like, because right. when, you, when you learn, you, you hear that saying, I'll probably butcher it, but if you yeah. want to gain knowledge, add something every day. If you want to gain wisdom, take something away every day. And that's where I think like the wisdom component comes in. Is like, okay, I tried something, I failed, I learned. And and that's where I think like as as parents, like I'm about to be one uh, soon, so I have to figure this out. But it's really of how do you let your kids and how do you let your as a leader, how do you let your your employees fail fail safely? Create that environment where you can they can fail, um, but you give them just enough rope for them to fail and then coach them so that they can learn. That's where like that I think as as a leader. For me, some of the most impactful leaders that I've had have let me fail, which is hilarious. I'm like, why? I want a leader that'll let me fail. But if there's this invisible wall that I run into every single time before I run into a failure, then I'm never going to learn. I mean, let's be real. Humans, people, we're kind of hard headed sometimes. So if we don't (laughs) run into that and and go through the experience, but then we also have to have somebody there with us to coach us from the outside. Say, hey, look, (laughs) this is where you messed up. No, but here, hold us That's accountable, right. right? To that same, and not accountable to the failure, but accountable to the learning and say, okay, what what went, how did it go? What went wrong? What can you do better? And challenge us to have, and just have that conversation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think that when you create a learning environment, then leaders start to look at their role differently mm-hmm. because we know that the best leaders are great coaches.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: So instead of managing people for when they do things well and not, Then now they look at their role as a coach, like I'm going to help guide you, I'm going to help you learn, and we're going to learn through this together. And I think it makes it safe for everybody on the team to be able to to help each other out too. This culture of learning is not just from the leader to the team or the individual contributor, but it's also to tap into your coworkers for learning as well. Yeah.
0: So that, that really leads us into our last topic. We we really want to designate the time for reflection and review and as as a team member, it's always I'm going to say always. It's it can be a good idea to I stay away from always cuz that's an absolute, but it can be <laughs> a, it can be a good idea to ask your coworkers for feedback. Hey, Mm -hmm. what, what went well? And what that does, it really helps you break down some communication barriers. Whereas you might be thinking, well, how did that go? Well, if you never ask your coworkers for feedback, that's, that's one thing I really value is if I'm going through a project or say we're having a call with a client and I have a coworker, Hey, I might set them up, set them up for success too. Like, Hey, can you, can you observe, give me some feedback, what I could do to improve that's the learning right there. And so, And again, I'm holding myself accountable to the learning, but I'm also giving them the opportunity to help hold me accountable for my learning. And so
1: I love that peer learning idea. I love it now, you know, and that is so powerful, provided we have some tools to deliver that feedback. Well,
0: yes, there are so many different what what are some tools that you had in mind?
1: Well, you know, I think I think it's so important to because, again, psychological safety is about interpersonal risk, right? So if I ask my colleague for some feedback, but they come across as very critical, it mm-hmm. puts me down and not, you know, where I don't feel confident. Well, then that's going to affect my level of psychological safety. Absolutely. So yeah. I, I think if we can get better communicating that feedback, the even better.
0: Yeah. Because the last thing you want to do is say, all right, well, they kind of the spiral downward and kind of come 360 around if. I'm not going to have that person give me feedback anymore. I'm going to go to the person that I know will is yeah, exactly. in my corner and make me feel yeah. good about it. And so, yeah. yeah. And, and one of the models we used was the SBI model. I don't know if you've have mm. you heard of that one. Yeah. So it's the, it's the situation behavior impact model. And when giving feedback, you describe the situation and timing. Timing is like the key to comedy. Timing is everything. But right. the timing for the feedback is, is critical. But the situation behavior impact, um, you start with the situation. Here's describe the situation, everything that happened describe the behavior that it was observed and the impact that it had. That's right. And that's how you provide that constructive criticism or that constructive feedback, really. And the goal is for everyone to get better. That's the whole purpose yes. of feedback. And we can mm-hmm. go into all like the three different types of feedback conversations yeah. you'll have. So that's, but keeping it high level, that's essentially a, a good method to use when giving someone some feedback, providing mm-hmm. that feedback.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Cause it takes the personal out of it
0: yes yes it
1: takes the personal out of it and and the other thing too is that when you build these relationships high in trust i'm gonna trust that kyle if you give me some constructive feedback it's because you want to help me succeed oh yeah i'm gonna trust that like so versus if i didn't trust you then why why is kyle giving me that feedback oh you know like i'd I'd be suspicious right well, I think it's all about relationships again.
0: It is. And, you know, feedback is kind of that trigger word when someone says, Hey, I want to give you some feedback. You're like, Oh, I know. Oh, what <laughs> did I do? And I still do it, even though our culture yes. in the company that we work and is super high trust. And we're like, Oh, it's great. But even I, I've been conditioned. Over the years to right. feel like same thing with accountability, feedback and accountability. It's like the two cuss words in, in the corporate world, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so That's right. That's
1: right. So we have to be very mindful of how we're communicating. Right. So I always bring up this one example, like a leader says to an employee, do you have a minute? Can you come into my office? Yeah. What's the first thing the employee is going to think? Oh, my gosh, I'm in trouble. I yep. did something wrong. I'm going to get fired. Yeah,
0: let me send out these resumes real quick. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, That's right, because
1: yeah. our brains are, are so wired that way. Like immediately we go to the negative.
0: Yeah. So,
1: <laughs> you know, and I have this personal philosophy that when I interact with people, am I elating them or deflating them? Mm. And I'm always focused on trying to help people feel good and elate them. So if I'm going to give some constructive feedback, I'm going to be very mindful of the words I use.
0: Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And that and that really ties into that learning really nicely because, again, from and this is just my my take on it, but if if you're not learning, then you're if if you're going into it saying I would like to do better, I would like to do something more efficiently, and you hit the failure moment, the, the grit that takes you through, you have to fail. But if you don't learn anything from it, then you're, that's sort of the true failure. And worse, if you don't learn anything from it and just keep doing the same thing over and over again, thinking it'll change, that's insanity. So, but mm. it, it's just one of those things to where you have to designate the time for review and reflection and don't just examine the failures, examine the successes. You yes. want to know what went well, why did it go well? And let's continue to do that because that yeah. went well. And <laughs> so, yeah, you, you have to examine your successes and your failures.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's some systems we can put in place, you know, like I love that on our team, we we talk about what are some successes? Like we start off our meetings. What are some successes? What are some kudos that you want to give to each other so that it it starts off the meeting on that very positive high note, but it also helps reinforce a culture of, you know, taking, taking note of some of the great things people do. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. yeah so as individual contributors we all have a part to play here when it comes to creating psychological safety we often talk about it from the leader to the team but I think it's very important that we all have a part to play because it is about interpersonal risks it's about social interactions
0: well Jane I definitely appreciate your time uh, that wraps up this episode oh. I know right it went it went <laughs> it quick so fast that, that so that wraps up this episode of thought pioneering Next month, we'll, again, we'll have Jane back here as we finish off this three-part series and discuss ways that we can all boost psychological safety in the workplace. If you like this episode, please feel free to smash that like button and share this podcast with your friends and family. And if you want to be notified when we launch more content from this channel, then go ahead and ring that bell icon to receive the alerts when the new episodes drop. We'll see you next month on Pioneering.